ESPN 97.5 and 92.5 proudly present The Killer Bees. Definitely a fan of The Killer Bees. Don't sweat the technique. Now from the Veritex Community Bank Studios, bringing you the fastest three hours in Houston sports radio, here's Joel Blank and Jeremy Branham. Ooh, what a big town. Hey, how we doing? He's Blank. I'm Branham. Brian behind the glass. It is a Thursday edition of the Killer Bees on ESPN 97.5 and ESPN 92.5. Uh, everybody's favorite day because it's Bad Take Boulevard Day. Everybody loves that. We're going to give away some tickets to see hilarious actor Kevin James a little bit later. I'm not going to tell you when we're doing it. Um, okay. Maybe some Kevin James trivia. So we can give it to somebody who likes Kevin James and not just somebody who's going to be caller number whatever and then sell it on eBay. Is eBay still a thing? Does eBay still exist? I think so. Yeah, it's, it's, yeah, it's still it there. I haven't sure. used it in a long time, but it's still there. I didn't I didn't know if Amazon killed it off or not. Uh, busy show. A lot of fun playing for you. Free agency, all that stuff. Uh, Nick Casario, Texans general manager, not a believer of Windows. We know that. Um, I was thinking about this last couple of days because Casario, I think, has been pretty good at signing some under-the-radar free agents. Now, they're not all hits. Uh, I did the uh, the homework on this and went and looked at every single free agent that he signed. We'll get to it later. Um, not all hits, but he's had some success stories. You look at last year, Devin Singletary had a good season. I think Noah Brown was a success story, even though he didn't play a lot. Uh, Robert Woods, eh, eh. Not, I, you know what? Actually, all things considered, he he had more left than I thought because I thought it was kind of a wasted sign. Uh huh. But still, I I I was left wanting more at the end of the year. And the it wouldn't have hurt if it was a one year deal. If it was a one year right, deal, I right. think it's like okay, not mm-hmm. bad. It, the fact that it's a two year deal, it's like eh, because we're talking about cutting them to save a little bit of money. Uh, so they haven't been all hits, but we feel like Casario is pretty good at being able to sign these free agents that are bargain deals that help your football team. And we've talked a lot about, well, the Texans have to fill 10, 11 starting caliber positions on this roster. Yes, they have lots of cap space, but they have a lot of holes to fill. 30 free agents, the most of any other team in the NFL, et cetera, et cetera. Free agency before the draft, so can you go into the draft needing two critical positions, not knowing how the draft's going to play out, and you're picking 23rd this year instead of 2nd and 12th. So a lot of uncertainty, sure, even though they have a lot of money to spend. So the question is, does Nick Casario's ability to find bargain deals, quality bargain deals, make you more willing to take a stars uh, stars to scrubs approach to free agency? Where maybe you spend some big money on two to three players, but then the seven other holes that you have to fill are these two, three million, one-year deals, and you're kind of patching it everywhere else. No, look, I I think... Where it starts for me is I believe in his ability to evaluate talent and then get him at a decent price. But at a certain point, I don't want him to be too cheap All you know, as this team gets better. Like, I think he has to be able to give fair market value where necessary to get the appropriate type player. It's one thing when you're getting the fighting Rex Burkheads because you're just looking for guys to fill roster spots and bridge the gap till you're trying to be good. Now you're actually not trying to be good. You're good and you're trying to be better. So that's where I think that the negotiation skills come into play, but you can't lose sight of the fact that you can't take a step back from a talent perspective with the guys you're bringing in and who you're replacing. So I'm worried from that regard. I think that he does a good job finding guys at good prices, 
But now it's not just about that. Now it's about finding the same level or better football player for those prices, and that's where I would be a little concerned. Yeah, I wouldn't say cheap, though. It's just the way that you're spending the money. If you're spending, like they have $65 million in cap space, let's say they leave $5 million for operating expenses into next season, you're still spending the $60 million. But now it's a pie graph, and how much of that $60 million are you spending on two to three players, and then the rest you have to spend very, very, very small amounts because you spent big on the other three. So you're going to spend the money. He's going to spend the $60 million. It's not about being cheap, per se. This is more Nick Casario's strength as a general manager has been finding these value bargain for agents do you play to that strength for six or seven of the holes that you have to fill and then go nuts with the other three players because you know you have the luxury of having a general manager that can find those bargain deals has has what he's done in that department give you confidence of going with a stars and scrubs approach I think he could do it uh, I, I, you know personally I think that I wouldn't go complete stars and scrubs I think there's a better way of doing that where you might overspend on a few players. It's not necessarily top of the market overspending, but I think that if you, again, when it gets to the talent evaluation process, you feel like these are guys that are going to positively impact my team in such a way that I need to spend a little bit more. And then I make up for it by being Nick Casario and being the guy that you just explained is the guy that can get good prices on good football players that can help you fill roles on the team. Uh, the draft is interesting to me as well because that's where you could also fill some of those roles so you don't have to go complete stars and scrubs. But that's why he's getting paid the big bucks. That's what. Yeah. That's why the challenge is right there in front of him for this offseason. Yeah, I mean, big bucks that he's getting paid or not. Like he's got the job to do. The sure. The problem that I have of waiting to the draft to fill, I, I don't want to enter the draft with holes, quite no, frankly. It's like, risky. I, if, if you have to sign two to three guys who are like borderline starters at positions that you need, okay, do that. Uh, but I don't want to go into the draft and be like, okay, the Texans still need a starting defensive end and a starting defensive tackle. That is not a spot that I want to be. I, I want to try to – and look, I'm not saying – I don't want the Texans to spend big money on these massive contracts because I think that's not how you win in the NFL. It's my general philosophy. So I don't want the Texans to take a stars and scrubs approach. I think we've been very clear on that. But whenever you go from free agency to the draft, I want the Texans to have – serviceable pieces at these positions of need and these starting caliber holes already in place before the draft. And if you draft over those guys, excellent. Now you, that's how you have good depth. Uh, so for me, I don't believe in the stars and scrubs approach. I don't think Casario has been good enough, and we'll go through all the free agents a little bit later. I don't think Casario has been good enough hitting on these one- to two-year deals where I feel confident going that way. Because for every Devin Singletary, there's a Camus Grugier Hill. There's a Christian Kirksey. And sorry, like those guys were fine whenever you were bad. And I wouldn't even say they were fine. They were starting linebackers for teams who were winning three and four games. I believe he's actually had more misses than hits. We just celebrate the hits, and we kind of forget the misses of the first couple of years because we want to forget the misses of the first couple of years. I don't think that Nick Casario's rapport or resume or list of accolades is good enough to take that approach. Can I ask you a question on that? No. Because uh, I'm curious if him finding CJ bought him all that extra leeway, that people don't scrutinize him as much on those kind of things. Because I think that from the draft perspective – not only just finding your franchise quarterback, getting the yeah. right guy of the guys, but then the trade that he pulled off, too, that ended up giving you the defensive rookie of the year, too. But it seems like once CJ established who he was, a lot of people gave him a lot of extra rope. 
Yeah, I think it's a combination of all that. You've you got your franchise quarterback. People liked the aggressive move. People like trading up into the draft. Like, hey, we're aggressive. We're we're gonna go for a star. Uh, that that's a popular move. Um, and whenever you have the you know the the like the I guess the counter opinion to that, oh, you you're not on board. You don't see the uh, the plan or whatever, et cetera. But he hit like he hit on it. So you can't like you, even if you didn't like the trade, I was one of those people. I, I can't sit there and be like, well, you know, Nick Casario screwed it up. No, he he got the defensive rookie of the year who looks like he's going to be an anchor on your defense. Congratulations, you overspent because you believed in your scouting report on Will Anderson and you hit. I tip my cap to you because I was uh, the counter opinion. I was uh, you know somebody who was a naysayer whenever it came to that. Uh, and I do think that he overpaid to trade up to number three. But if you're going to overpay, you better hit. And he did hit. So that's where I give Casario the kudos on that. But it's a combination of all of it. You know, how much did he play in the D'Amico hire? I don't know, but he should get some credit for the D'Amico hire as general manager of the team. It is finding the franchise quarterback who looks like he's a top five quarterback in the NFL already after a rookie season. It is Will Anderson, but above all else, it's the it's the winning record. Like, yeah, that's what that, you're paid. Like, you're paid for wins. You're paid to win football games. You're trying to figure out ways to make your football team good, and they were good last Last year, taking over an awful, awful franchise that was in a terrible spot. That's why I give him leeway for the first couple of years. So I think Casario's done a great job. Yeah, I, I think that when you look at it and you're 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 throwing all those things into it, the other thing that that I would say too is the reason why that trade. Yes, it looks good that you got Will Anderson Jr. It also helped that your pick isn't in a top five because the team overperformed from where a lot of people, including I, I didn't think they were going to win many games. But I think that they, there was the thought that they were a year or two away of really doing what they did this year, and that neutralized a lot of that trade, too, for as aggressive as he was. I just feel like once he got C.J. right and, and got C.J. in place, that a lot of people, not that they went through with blinders looking at him from that point forward, but they, they just kind of they gave him a pass on a lot of things of the past that otherwise we were talking about in the offseason going, if he has another offseason like this, and if he didn't get his, get, get his franchise quarterback and there were unknowns, that he truly could be on the hot seat next offseason. Yeah, I mean, I think he was in the hot seat last offseason, but, like, that's kind of the way of the job. Like, you start to win, and it's like, okay, well, you're happy, like, you're happy about him now. I mean, look at the public perception and approval rating. Like, we grade these presidents on approval rating. I like to grade general managers, head coaches on approval rating, uh, owners on approval rating. If you would have, 365 days ago, Nick Casario's approval rating would have been very poor. Yep. Cal McNair's approval rating would be very poor. Kerry McNair tries to file, like, for guardianship or whatever over Janice McNair, if he would have done it a year and a half ago, everybody would be like, yes, I hope he's successful. Now it's like, let's, this guy's awful. Let's kick him out of the city. Uh, same thing with Casario. Like, oh, he's great. Executive of the year. Like 365 days ago, people wanted him out of town. So, like, opinions change fast in sports and things change fast in sports. Um, and I do give him leeway in the first two years because it was a rebuild. Like, he didn't want to say it. He should have. Uh, but it very much was a rebuild. They well, were Bill awful. left him with crumbs. I mean, he left him with, with crumbs no in the cupboard. Space. Yeah. No draft picks, no cap space. It was hell. And we were saying it was going to take a year and a half to two years to let him dig out just to get back to even ground so he could start building. But it, he, everything that he had to knock down and get rid of before he got to that point was going to take some time. It's just some of the moves along the way that we were scrutinizing seem to have gotten pushed way in the in the past the rearview mirror yeah. because of the because of the big one that he hit. I mean, there's there's a lot of recency bias. Like uh, uh-huh. recency bias is is a huge deal. Where do you stand on this, Brian? Uh, Casario's ability to find these bargain value deals make you more okay with star and scrub approach to free agency. Yeah, I am more okay with it because uh, pushing back a little bit. You brought up his track record and the misses. You know, before this last season, obviously he had a lot of mi- or a lot of hits this year. Mm-hmm. 
I mean, when you look at some of his the the you know one and two year contracts that he's had over the recent years, obviously Devin Singletary, Dalton Schultz, uh, Malik Collins was a two year deal. Uh, Sheldon Rankins, we obviously uh, Blake Cashman. There's so many guys, Stevie Nelson. There's so many veterans he's hit on on these one and two year deals that I, I think we have to grade him more so on what we've seen recently, even putting aside C.J. Stroud and Will Anderson, just looking at these veterans he signed on the, uh, signed on the short-term deals, I'd like to grade him more on the recent stuff because we have to remember he was a first-year or first-time GM. This wasn't a guy that's been a GM for 30 years coming into the job. So I think there is at least a little bit of a learning curve where those early years he's still kind of learning on the job to some degree like anyone would be in a new position. So maybe his success rate over time as he gets more experience is going to increase. And I think we saw the benefit of that this last season. And I think it's two different mindsets of where you're at in free agency two years ago and where you're at now. Like, and that's the other oh, thing. Sure. because like, So like, I don't know. I, this may sound like giving him the ultimate pass mm-hmm. and, and, and a reach, but he knew, especially if he's operating in these two-year windows, no, no, as, no, 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 as, no, no, as he doesn't want to call increment. it. Increment. Sorry, two years increments. He knew those two years that, that we're talking about in the past before he started having hits and with these veterans, they weren't trying to win. He didn't want to add guys. He didn't want to say it. Right. I don't know like, why he didn't he, want to say it. That was he, stupid. Yeah. He, he knows that basically everyone he's signing on these one- and two-year deals are transitional guys that aren't going to be here yeah. when the team starts to turn they were around. So it almost coach, doesn't matter if they hit. Coaches, which were supposed to be one coach, was a bridge. A lot yeah. of the players were bridges. Yeah, look, look, at, look at some of the players he signed in those, those first two years as the – coaching equivalent of signing David Coley and Lovey Smith, he knew those guys weren't going to work. They were just transitional guys. Well, I, I mean, I don't think you're going to sign a guy that you don't think is going to at least be serviceable or sure, better. but he had no aspirations He was just looking for, for the right be... price to have guys yeah. to fill spots. Right. Yeah, it was all. they were all bridges. I think Lovey was a bridge, too. Exactly. Oh, there's no doubt. Couldn't co-sign Cully for a second year, so he promoted from within. He, he was promoted embracing from within. the suck without telling anybody he was embracing the suck. That's what he wanted to do, essentially, was be bad enough to get good quicker. 713-780-ESPN, HRMP listener line. We're on the Twitch, twitch.tv slash ESPN 97.5. Nothing but the best uh, inside the Twitch. He's at Pac-Man Joel on Twitter. Brian's at Sacked by BMAC. I'm at Jeremy Branham. Overlooked free agents that intrigue me. These are guys that we've almost haven't talked about at all. And in a lot of cases, we haven't talked about them at all. Those type of players that intrigue me with free agency just around the corner in the NFL. It's the Killer Bees on ESPN 97.5 and ESPN 92.5. Back with the Killer Bees on ESPN 97.5 and 92.5. Live from the Veritex Community Bank Studios, here's Joel Blank and Jeremy Branham. He's Blank. I'm Branham. We are the Bees on ESPN 97.5, ESPN 92.5. 713-780-ESPN. HRP listener line 713-780-3776. So I put together a list of 18 free agents that I like. 18 free agents that the Texans were to sign, I'd be good with. And these are guys that are overlooked, that we have not talked about. So almost none of them are on the offensive side of the ball. I do have two guards on my list. Um, because we talked about receivers, we talked about running backs, we talked about tight ends. The only offensive skill position we have not talked about is quarterback, for very obvious reasons. So these are the overlooked free agents that intrigue me. Curious if they intrigue you. Although there is um, one tweet real quick from Aaron Wilson. Uh, Texans may explore a free agent market with an eye toward hard-hitting Tennessee Titans linebacker Aziz Al-Shahir, who's interested in the Texans per source. 
he's one of my eighteen. Yeah, I saw he's him. one of my eighteen. It makes sense. He's got a history with D'Amico, right? Yeah, he was. Uh, he spent one year in Tennessee. That was this past season, right. in which he racked up one hundred and sixty-three tackles. Like, think about that for a second. He had one hundred and sixty-three tackles. That is a lot. One hundred and sixty-three tackles. Twenty-seven years old. He was with San Francisco in the years prior to that. So, whenever D'Amico left, that's that also coincided. Whenever Aziz left, so he was actually on my list. One of my two linebackers on the list of guys that I think would uh, would be good fits here. Uh, side to side linebacker. I think he's a good compliment to Christian Harris. Who knows how much four three the Texans want to play next year? I think that they want to play four three. I think they were forced not to play four three towards the second half of last year just because their best eleven didn't include a third linebacker. It made more sense for Desmond King to be on the field than Henry Toa Toa or Denzel Perryman. Mm-hmm. Um, but I do think that they want to add depth to the linebacker spot just so they have the versatility. Like they might not you know, play 4-3 more than half the time, but to be able to go into your base defense against a good running team or something like that. So I could see them definitely being a player in the linebacker game. He's He was the top of my list. Another one that I like is Frankie Louvu from Carolina. He had 100 tackles uh, in each of the last two years, 12 and a half sacks in the Love last that. two years as he well. Was a, he, was big him. He, he was Texans. a pest in that Texans yeah, game. Yeah, I was going to say, he played mm-hmm. big against in, in the Texans game. There was also the story his mom was in town to see him play for the first time. Yeah. He's a beast, but I had heard he was going to get paid fairly well. Maybe so. Maybe the Texans are Pay him very, yeah. fairly well. Like, what is the going rate for a linebacker? Because it's not defensive end. It's not going to be twenty million. Like, can you get him at twelve, thirteen? Uh, yeah, give me a second. I actually have that projected contract. So those are two linebackers that I like. Okay. I have four defensive ends as well. Like, if this is more like John Ten Bernard to insurance, million per year. That's not bad. It's not bad at all. It's decent. I, I had heard fifteen to seventeen, so I'm fine with t- between ten and fifteen is at least more reasonable. The four defensive ends I like, and this is this is if John Grenard leaves, which. I think he's going to. Bryce Huff from the New York Jets, 26 years old. He had 10 sacks uh, last year. It was his blow-up year. This is the first year that he was actually good. And they're not going to tag him. Jets aren't going to tag him. They're going to go with that rookie from Iowa State, it seems like. So you're a fan of Bryce Huff? That moves the needle for you a little bit? Yeah, the the only concern is he's got a bit of a Grenard in that it's a one-year breakout. And and he's coming off of being an undrafted player, so it's not some pedigree that has been – you know, he uh, that's well-known leading up to this point. But I do like the fact that he played with Robert Sala. I would assume there would be some similarities there mm-hmm. with what he would do here in in Houston under D'Amico, uh, considering both came from San Francisco, but uh, and D'Amico coached under Sala for a little bit. So I, I do like the uh, the fit of Huff, uh, but I do have concern the one year, so the AAV yeah. would have to be reasonable. That's what I was going to say. You're coming as an coming in the league as an undrafted free agent. You have one good year. Are you just happy to be there and trying to get with a team and get a good contract? You never know. Or are I you mean, trying to break the bank and get a big contract I and mean, make up for lost time? It, it, there is concern, but, I mean, Arian was a uh, Arian was an undrafted player. There's undrafted Either way, players. he should be cheaper than the, uh, a Austin, lot of the premier Austin, guys on the list. Austin Eckler was an undrafted player. So, I mean, it does happen, but there, I, the AAV would have to be reasonable because of that. I mean, we're going to say that about every single player. Like, sure. it, like the market, so, the market, so. the value, the dollar, all of that stuff is going to come into play. Uh, but, yeah, on a one-hit wonder, it, it comes into play. But you don't want to give him the same kind of Lua, the money that you just said for uh, Frank. No, I wouldn't Lua, want to give him I don't 10 want to give him 10 to 15. 15. Well, he's a premium defensive position, though. He's a defensive end. He's an edge rusher. He's going to get that. But I'm saying, after just one year, you think he's going to get the same at kind a, of money? At a more premium position? Absolutely. Okay. Yeah, I think he's going to be, I, I I think think he's gonna so. be comparable. I, I think, I think, I think they're going to be right he'll the be a little ballpark. lower. We'll see. Andrew Van Ginkle. This was the hard knocks uh, darling uh, during the midseason. Late bloomer, but he had there was injuries to the Dolphins last year. Had his opportunity, and he played really well. Probably another guy who's third, fourth tier defensive end, but capable of starting. 
capable of starting. He did that. You know, he had good numbers with Miami last year. So another under the radar, overlooked free agent that intrigued me. Any any objection to Van Ginkle if he were a Houston Texan? He's athletic. He moves around a lot. I Most just, football players do. Okay. <laughs> It's going to be one of those days. I, I, I just, I think he's athletic, but I think he's almost, to me, he looks undersized a lot. Mm-hmm. I, I just, I, I don't, I, when I look at him, I, I don't feel like he's one of those, you know, hit the hole hard and go in and stop the run and be aggressive as well as get to the quarterback. I, I'm just, I, to me, I don't think I would be interested in him. Six four two forty. So he's not like six six, but you know, not small. By any stretch of the imagination. And again, these are overlooked free agents, so we're not talking about like the the They're all gonna the have class. some sort of hole. Absolutely. Yeah. Like these are the guys, like, okay, like can you get this guy on a you know below market value deal? Are these the guys that Casario is gonna seek after the value uh in free agency? Which is almost never value in free agency. How about Zadarius Smith? Spent his time in Cleveland last year. Now he's older, thirty two years I was old, just about to five say and he's a half sacks last year, but he yeah. had ten the year prior to that. This, to me, the next two guys, Smith including it, these are the guys that I'm talking about to fill a hole that you have, but you're looking to draft over. And if you draft over them, awesome. They're your third defensive end. But if you don't, like the draft just doesn't play out that way because you have no control over the draft because you're picking number 23, they are still good enough to start for you if you don't get a rookie who's better. I got a lot of experience with Zadarius Smith because he had some really good years in Green Bay. He is really, really good. He used to be really, really good at rushing the passer. I think the way you spelled it out is a perfect scenario for him. If he could come here and if he ends up getting beaten out, beaten out so be it, and he becomes, you know, your Jerry Hughes or, or, or whatever, and he becomes just a, a backup, that's fine. He has a ton of talent. I don't know what he's got left in the tank, and I don't think he would come that. He's gotten paid pretty handsomely throughout his career. I don't think he would break the bank for you, but I think that I would be interested in a guy like that. Yeah, that's um, this is more. He, you really want him to be your third defensive end. But if you can't draft over him, then he's your he's your starter, and he's capable. Last one is Jadavian Clowney. 31 years old, nine and a half sacks. Some places have it at 10. I don't know why different places have it at different sack totals. But Jadavian Clowney returned to Houston, may have had one of his better years this past year. One-year deal type. Am I giving multiple years? I'm just curious if, because of everything that's happened here previously, if they would even look at him. I, I just think Different regime, totally. It is, but it's the same same guy, same name, same reputation that when he left town, it wasn't it wasn't a, a glowing recommendations and it wasn't all positivity. I, I would pass on him because I, I think they're going to pass on. Him. I, I think his hate would be towards Bill O'Brien, yeah. pretty much Bill O'Brien only. I mean, let's not for, let's not forget D'Amico Ryan sued the team, and he's obviously the coach here. So I think everyone, I think everything can be looked over and forgiven over time if the people change uh, or the people in charge change. So yeah, I'd be I'd be open to Clowney on a one year deal. I, it, it probably would might be my first choice. I'd want someone sure. who I trust to get and actually finish the job at the quarterback a little more often than Clowney has done. But I wouldn't hate it. None of these guys are your first or second options. Yeah. These are the guys that okay, we've we've picked up a couple of free agents that we like. We still have to fill we out the rest of our team, and now we're yeah. gonna. Yeah, save a little these, money on These Clowney. are your value-free agents because you have 30 of them and you need to fill holes. Leonard Williams, interior defensive lineman, Seattle. A little longer in the tooth, but yeah, still super like productive. I and Seattle, like Seattle traded for him. They did. And then didn't make the playoffs. Not a great trade. This is, this is to me, is like, okay, I could see this being a D'Amico Ryans type of player. Your, yeah, get to the, the quarterback shoulder, a little one bit. One-year Sheldon Rankins type deal. Yeah, yeah. and I think, he's still, I, I think he's effective. I, I would be interested in that. Here's an interesting one. Former D'Amico Ryan's teammate, Fletcher Cox. Ooh, from Philly. He's going to be 34 next year. 
still super productive. Yeah. Now I don't know if he. I don't even think he'd play anywhere other than Philadelphia. Quite honestly, but I maybe for former teammate D'Amico Ryan's on a one-year deal. I, I Fletcher Cox, man, it, it, obviously at his peak, he was wreaking havoc all the time. He was just he could wreck everything. I, I'd be interested to see what he's got left. I, I'd be interested. He in, was good last year. He, even still with with Philly's he problems, was, yeah, he like he yeah, he got a lot of run. Not the problem then they, but I know, but didn't they kind of take him from a every down kind of type player to like just situational? Sure, but he was still getting like just as much run as, as uh, Jordan Davis. I'd be interested in Fletcher Cox. They would. Sure. Th- that's one that I just like. I wanted to write down just to see, just to see if Why not? former teammate D'Amico mm-hmm. Ryan's. We already mentioned the linebackers, Al Shahir, Luvu, uh, the corners, Jalen Johnson, a stud from Chicago. They're saying that he's like a potential tag candidate. Yeah, so like maybe cross him off of this list. How about thirty-four-year-old Stephon Gilmore still playing at a solid level? Yeah. This wouldn't be. This again. This is a one-year stopgap. But Stephen Nelson walks. You don't want to go nuts on one of these top corners. You get Stephon Gilmore on like a veteran discount who wants to play with a good football team. Still plays pretty good, even though he's, he's super old, especially for that position. But still playing it at a pretty high level. He, he played at a decent level, and you would sure think did. Casario knows uh, uh, something about him too. I'd be fine with that. I think that again, he might be able to teach Stingley some things too in the process coming in here. I'd be fine with him being Stevie Nelson's replacement on a short-term deal. And then the last one's uh, Kendall Fuller from Washington, another guy who I think would be kind of a Steven Nelson type where you haven't really heard a lot about Steven Nelson, solid football player, and a younger version of that. I have five safeties. I have no idea if the Texans are going to be interested I, I, in safety. Yeah, I was about to say, the name from Washington I want is a safety. I, 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 I have him on my list, too. Cameron Curl? Yep. Yeah, yeah. I, I like Cameron Curl a lot. He was a seventh-round pick, so kind of similar to what we talked about before with uh, with, with Bryce Huff. In seventh round, undrafted, kind of similar there, but he's really uh, played well for Washington over the last couple of years. Do we think that the Texans will be in the safety market? Well, if they if I they if they release Jimmy Ward, why not? Well, that's what I'm, that's kind of what I'm asking. Yeah, I, I guess in an should. indirect way, that's what I was asking. Yeah. Jimmy Ward's going to be what 31, 32? Yeah, or is Cameron Curl's like twenty five, twenty six? But so he's going to be he's going to be twenty five next year. Yeah, so but I, even I without the age factor in that, just the fact that you couldn't rely on him all last year with injuries, I, I think that they they they're done with Jimmy Ward. I would cut them. I have a feeling the Texans aren't going to. Because of the relationship D'Amico? with D'Amico? Yeah, kind of. Like, I, I think D'Amico looks at him as a guy who can still really help them, and maybe he's, like, a little too loyal to a fault because I, I think it's time to let him go and then get – like, this safety free agent class is really stinking good. Like, you're going to get one of these Safety's a valued position. It's yeah. kind of like running back. And you can get one of these – for pretty cheap, I think. Now, Antoine Winfield, who I think is the top safety, he's on my list, but he's yeah. going to get paid a ton. Yeah, like, you can probably cross him off. Curl was one that I liked. Xavier McKinney's another one that I like with the Giants. Jordan Fuller is one that I like. He had over 100 tackles at the safety spot. Now, I don't know if you love that, but that, that yeah. might be because of the defense he's on. And then C.J. Gardner-Johnson would be a reclamation project. 27 years old. He only played in two games last year. Super talented, and this might be a prove-it one-year deal. You can get him pretty cheap. You might even be able to get him pretty cheap where you don't have to cut Jimmy Ward. Maybe. And then the two offensive players I have. This is totally with the idea of you know beefing up your offensive line because I do I do want another interior offensive lineman on this team. Uh, I get scoffed at all the time for saying if the best player available at twenty three is a center, do it. If the best player at twenty three is a left guard, do it. And you just have a really good offensive line. Like, is that bad having a really good offensive line? But a couple of free agents, you can go that game kind of like how they went with Shaq Mason last year, traded for him, resigned him. These guys are free agents though. Robert Hunt. 
tackle Miami, so he's familiar with the zone blocking scheme. Also has some ability to play tackle. Not that I want him to do that, but it gives you like a little bit of insurance in case you have a guy go down. But I like the idea of a guy who's comfortable with his own blocking scheme. Miami had a pretty good running game this year. And then the second guard I like, John Simpson. Left guard, Baltimore, was only there one year. But they had the best running attack in the entire NFL. If you want to make your offensive line better at running the football, how about borrowing from the best running attack in the entire league? Now, do you think Cody Whitehair is going to be? I don't like him. You don't like him? Mm -mm, Not a fan. He was awful last year. But he was on a really bad Bears team, I think, in a lot of ways, too. You can be good on a bad team. He's 31. I, I just The minute the Bears cut him, I was like, I wonder if they would take a look at him and just see how he would fit, especially when he's got talent around him on the offensive line. That was just a name that, that piqued my curiosity. I'm out on him. Uh, he didn't play well last year. He's a little bit older for an offensive – well, an offensive lineman can last forever. Uh, but he's a little bit older for a football life. I, I'm out on White here. Not a fan. I just thought I'd Not a fan it, that was a guy I was, well, I was keeping an eye on. Who are uh, some of the unsung of free agents or the guys that we're not talking about that you like? 713-780-ESPN-HRP listener line, 713-780-3776. For the Astros in 2024, would you rather get back a healthy Luis Garcia or a healthy Lance McCullers Jr.? 713-780-3776. It's the Killer Bees on ESPN 97.5 and ESPN 92.5. Guys, before we go to the break, a word for Doc Linville. Doc Linville, best in the business at the Neograph procedure. If you don't know what it is, but you're losing your hair, you need to find out. And you can find out right now, and it costs you absolutely nothing. Doc Linville, best in the business at this procedure. And the Neograft is getting your own hair back. It's literally taking hair where you're never going to lose it genetically. Doc explained it to me. You're never going to lose the hair on the sides and the back of your head. And he takes some of it and moves it where you need it most. Maybe it's in front at your hairline. Maybe it's up on top and back. He takes care of it. And the minute that the procedure is done, you can see the follicles there. And they are getting ready to start growing and really getting firm and planted uh, and stay there in, the, in your head for the rest of your life. And then after six to nine months, they get stronger and longer, and you see the full results. Best part about Doc Linville and listening to ESPN 97.5 is you get a free consultation with him and his staff where they can explain everything to you, and it costs absolutely nothing. People off the street that want this uh, consultation, 150 bucks. You, absolutely free. All you got to do is go to 975hair.com and book your appointment. Nothing out of pocket, no signing on the dotted line, no commitments to be made, just questions and answers, and you finding out if you're the next in line and you want to go through with the Neograph procedure. I did it. I couldn't be happier with it. I see the benefits every single day of more hair on the front of my head, and I tell everybody about it because it's exciting and it gets your confidence back while it gets your hair back. Check them out today. Tell them I sent you by. Go to 975hair.com. Broadcasting live from the Veritex Community Bank Studios, it's the Killer Bees with Joel Blank and Jeremy Branham on ESPN 97.5 and 92.5. I hate that there's two Luis Garcias in Major League Baseball. Drives me nuts. Where's the other one? He was a, I don't know if he signed with anybody, but he used to play for the Nationals. He's an outfielder, I think. They used to always drive me crazy that there was one time was two Adrian Petersons in the NFL. Oh, yeah. They was with the Bears, right? Yeah, exactly. What would be worse is if you were calling OKC games with two guys with the same exact name. What are their names? Jalen Williams. 
You're talking about the Thunder? The Thunder. They, they have, have two Jalen Williams? The exact same name. That stinks. Yeah, and they have. you have to have like a nickname or somewhat yeah. of a nickname because there's two guys with the exact same name on the same squad every night. Yeah. To see, the home radio guy or TV guy can get away with it because they can call him the nickname. Yeah. It's the road team that really has the trouble. Yep. It's like, here's Jalen Williams, too. Here's the Jalen Williams that comes off the bench. Like, what do you like? That's that's weird. Uh, really weird. Anyway, 713 780 ESPN. Would you rather get back a healthy Luis Garcia or a healthy Lance McCullers? This isn't a, a Branham original. This came from Peter Richards on uh, Twitter. Uh, really good question. We, we were talking the other day about I think the Astros can have the best pitching staff in baseball. Uh, I asked him, I a homer, and then he asked the question Did Luis Garcia healthy? McCullers healthy? Who is better? So, which of the two would you rather have? Lance McCullers, 30 years old this year. 348 career ERA. Luis Garcia, 27 years old this year. A 361 career ERA. You get one back at 100%. Who would you rather have? That's the key to me. If you're getting Lance McCullers back at 100%, that's where I'm going because we know that the big, we know and we've talked about the fact that if he is healthy, he has top three type stuff in a rotation in Major League Baseball. He has the resume and the experience to have been through just about every situation. He's got stuff that translates against no matter who you're playing. And I think that as much as I like what Garcia has and what he will still have for this team and his future long term, we've talked about the pitch clock and rock the baby and the things he still has to work out. He has seen some things but I don't think he's seen the kind of things and been the effective long-term guy that McCullers has been when healthy. And the biggest thing has just been injuries. So if you're telling me they're both 100% healthy for this team, for this year, Lance McCullers would be the guy that I would take. I think Lance is a tier above Luis in terms of talent. Um, I like both of them when they're healthy, obviously. Mm-hmm. Like if, we're, if we're throwing in the caveat that you're getting one of them back at 100%, we're saying that they're both 100%, you pick between the two, uh, we can eliminate the injury concerns. And I understand that you can't do that with either pitcher, especially Lance McCullers. Uh, but when right, Lance McCullers, to me, is on a slightly higher tier than Luis Garcia. Lance McCullers is a top 10 Cy Young type of guy. He's done it before. Uh, been to an all-star team once as well, although I don't use all-stars as accolades anymore. Luis Garcia has been good. Like, Luis Garcia's career ERA is better than Lance McCullers' career ERA. Uh, or it's just a little bit worse. 361, Lance McCullers is at 348. But Lance McCullers' highs have been better. Even in 22 when he came back and he pitched in, like, eight games at the end of the year, he had a 227 ERA. Effective. Now, some of that was smoke and mirrors, certainly. Uh, but strikeouts, a little bit higher for Lance McCullers than Luis Garcia. Love Luis Garcia. I have Lance McCullers over Luis Garcia by one iota. One iota. Give me a healthy Lance McCullers over Luis Garcia. I, I would go even by more than just one iota. I think Lance McCullers, I mean, Joel mentioned it. I think he's at least fully healthy. If Lance McCullers is right, is probably at least your third best uh, starting pitcher. But all the, given all the concerns about Fromber's, you know, up and down uh, nature last season in Verlander's age, there's even a, an argument. I, I, I'll admit it's it's a bit of a stretch to get there, but there's even an argument to make he could end up being your best starting pitcher if he's fully right given the concerns of Verlander, Fromber, and Javier. I like Luis Garcia, but I just don't see him having that upper-level special game capability where mm-hmm. we've seen that from Lance in big moments, ha- have that upper-level, get-you-over-the-hump-and-win-you-game type, uh, type of capability. Yeah, I think it's interesting because the injuries have been so well-documented and so frustrating for so many Astros fans. But when you just look at the success stories that he's had throughout his career in the biggest moments, and we always will go back to the 20-some curveballs in a row and all the things that he did heroically that way. But when you just look at 
the way he was able to mow people down. I mean, you think about the playoff game against the White Sox in Chicago, whether you thought he should have been pitching that day or not, or, or you know, you, you couldn't have said what was going to happen in the future, but he went on the road in a tough environment yet again, and he handled his business. And that's the kind of pitcher that Lance McCullers has always been in my mind. It has never been about his bulldog mentality or his stuff. It's just about the fact that He's not. He can't stay healthy, and then you're constantly asking questions when he isn't healthy about when he's going to be back and how it's going to be rectified. Yeah, his career postseason ERA is under three five, and he's got ten strikeouts per nine in the postseason. He he's a guy that I know in the biggest moments. Now, obviously, Game Three in Philly, not good, but in in, in most cases, in, in in big game situations, I absolutely trust Lance McCullers. I think you bring up a good point on like the the state of the rotation too. Like Lance McCullers, hundred percent. Like, if he's completely healthy, he can disrupt your top three in your starting rotation. Whereas Luis Garcia, he's probably a fourth starter. He's probably behind, and with this rotation, there's no shame in that. Um, he's behind Verlander. He's behind Fromber. He's behind Javier. Garcia would be that fourth guy 100%. Lance McCullers, if he's 100% and he's pitching well, he's in the mix for the top three. Yeah, his stuff has the ability to put him up there, whereas Lee Garcia, I just see, like you said, I see him not having the upper-level stuff and settling in as like a four-starter. I do love Luis Garcia, though. He's one of my Nothing favorite Nothing against pitchers. him. He's a good no. starter, and, he, I mean, need, and he needs to be on this team, but I think Lance McCullers has that extra gear that Luis doesn't, or at least hasn't shown yet. I think he's still got a huge upside, too. I, I think that he's, he has the ability to show that he he's only going to get better as he goes on, obviously, if healthy and when he's healthy. But he's got things to work through, too, as he settles in to being an everyday starter in the major leagues, whereas Lance proven himself. I mean, over time, Lance has proven himself over and over again to where for a lot of years we were penciling him in to be a top two, three starter in the rotation. Seven, seven, two, seven are both their hel- uh, healthy McCullers. He's cost the Astros too much money. I don't think money should be involved in this decision. It's already something you're paying. It's already a sunk cost. Like, give me the guy who's better. I don't give me the guy who's making more money. Uh, six, one, six, seven, Garcia just can't trust the health of Lance. I understand it's hard to do that, even when we're telling you you were giving him 100% health. Uh, 4187, Luis Garcia, no Lance, um, 8664, Ocho. I'd rather have a healthy Luis Garcia because Lance McCullers gives me ulcers. That dude tries to be too cute and throws too many unnecessary pitches. Uh, that's a good point by Ocho. He tries to strike everybody out. He does. And and you have to you just have to wonder how much he's get, his mentality has changed based on the injuries of how frequent he's going to throw that curveball. And his off-speed pitches. 6146, while I agree that McCullers is the right answer here, he did fall apart in that Rays game seven during the COVID year. I had COVID during that series, uh, for what it's worth. 7727, Luis Gar, uh, he says Lance has better hair. I don't know, man. Luis Garcia gives him a run for his money, and then Lance cut it recently. Did he? Yeah, he cut his hair. Did, he got uh, rid of the long look. And Luis is his own hair, right? Like, Fromber had the braids attached right before the All-Star game two years ago. I think he's got – I think he had it attached to You him. do? Okay. Yeah, because he went from this mullet to those dreads. I don't think that's – I don't think that's so real. He took a page out of Fromber's book yeah, after Fromber had him extend, done? I think he did exactly that. But Luis Garcia, he's got the beads in it and stuff like yeah. that. So yeah. it's kind of cute for it's Luis Garcia. It's annoying when you're pitching and they're rattling around and when I you're sweating. Like it. And it seems like it's a lot. Seven seven two seven Lance McCullers. When he's right, it's hard to hit that slider. Yeah, it's a good point. Three three one one Garcia, hundred percent healthy, doesn't discount rust. Now, that's a good que- that's a good point because Lance hasn't pitched since the two thousand twenty two postseason. Now Garcia doesn't have him beat by a whole lot though. He got hurt early in the two thousand twenty three regular right, season. Right, and and again, you know, I don't know how Tommy John changes pitcher to pitcher. It's, everybody's different. It's not just the recovery, and we're saying he's one hundred percent healthy. But does it change? 
the way you attack uh, hitters and, and the pitches you throw. That's why I said from Lance's perspective, I'm just curious when, you know, if he's if he's ever going to get to the frequency of the curveball and the slider that he threw before either one of these injuries. Well, we've seen Lance post-TJ. We haven't seen Garcia post-TJ. But I think seeing Lance post-TJ, I don't think he threw the, the he's more of a slider curve, guy now. Yeah, he didn't throw the curveball as much. Now, a slider's pretty nasty, though. Oh, yeah. And I, I, I don't really – I don't have fear of a guy coming off Tommy John anymore. Like, these guys come off Kinda Tommy like John the all the time. Yeah. yeah. Now, a second one – now, to be clear, Lance didn't have a second right, one. He right. had the, the flexure tendon. Uh, I'm not – Tommy John doesn't really worry me anymore. It's like the ACL, it's a good comparison. Uh, 0 0 6, 6, I would rather have Garcia for 24. I think the length and uh, injury time – uh, off plays, too much of an issue here, even if Lance is at 100%. So you're going rust there as well. Lancer, Luis, completely healthy. Who's more important? 2024, who would you rather have back? 713-780-3776. Also, I have a scenario, and it might not be a pleasant scenario, but a scenario in which Spencer Aragetti, hometown kid, makes the opening day roster. It's Killer Bees on ESPN 97.5 and ESPN 92.5. ESPN 97.5. Now back to the Killer Bees on ESPN 97.5 and 92.5. Live from the Veritex Community Bank Studios, here's Joel Blank and Jeremy Branham. He's Blank. I am Branham. We are the Killer Bees on ESPN 97.5, ESPN 92.5. Going to give away some um, tickets a little bit later to see Kevin James in concert, his stand-up, coming up this weekend. So, giving that away a little bit later. I'm going to tell you when. you got to know a little bit about Kevin James. We're not just giving that away to the what, random. You have to you have to earn it. You have to know a little bit about Kevin James. you got to like Kevin James. Presidente says, better question, will a spot of piggyback him at the end of the season, assuming they return around the same time? That's kind of one of those bridges I'm waiting to cross until I get there. Because what is the rotation going to look like? Is Justin Verlander's shoulder going to be jacked? Is J.P. France going to be injured? Like, what is the, everybody else in the rotation? What is their form? Is Christian Javier going to continue to get lit up? Like, that's a question that i rather answer whenever the time comes. Now, if we assume everybody's pitching okay to stay in the rotation and everybody's healthy, you have eight starters that you have to fe- – yeah, and it might be a bit of a roster crunch. That's going to be tough. Well, and the thing is, we don't know who we get to choose from because we, there's so many guys either wondering about injury like Verlander or waiting for injury return like Garcia, like, like Lance, and then also wondering about, as you mentioned, J.P. France. It'd be a hell of a problem to have if you've got eight healthy starters and you can pick and choose and you know even when you want to go to your six-man rotation in the season, you could do some things. But if some of those guys aren't going to be available for you, then it's going to change Joe Espada's thinking as well because mm-hmm. otherwise the piggyback is a good solution if you can't figure out your middle relievers either. Like if you, if you tell me that they're all pitching fine and they're all healthy and then Luis and Lance, they come back and they're fine, like it's coming off an injury. I'm I'm going six man rotation, and I'm probably going to keep my injured guys on a fixed fixed rotation, like give them the starts, and I'm probably going to try to move Arcini and France into my bullpen. Like I'm making my long guys, like just say, assuming that they're pitching to what we know of them. Like if Arcini's having a career year and he's pitching to a 3.25 ERA, then I'm not touching him. Right. That's why it's kind of we have to wait and see. But if we go like career norm, 
I'm going to go with my those injured guys into my starting rotation because they can't be pitching in the bullpen. They need a very fixed schedule, especially Lance. We know that about Lance. So I would move France and Urquidy into the bullpen. Yeah, look, the first thing I was going to say is if Lance comes back, and for all the things you mentioned, but also for his effectiveness, uh, I'm looking at Lance to be my fourth starter, if at all possible, just because of what we talked about. Because when he is healthy, he can be borderline dominant. He can be uh, one of the best pitchers on your staff if need be, and then you piggyback from there if you have to. Fifth starter for me, I would lean Urquidy, but I don't know what I'm going to get out of Garcia either. If Garcia truly is, like you said, if he's limited on how much they want him to throw anyway, and he, because he's he started and, and been effective, Urquidy's been in the bullpen before. He's been there, done that. He could do it again. I'd be fine with that. J.P. France, I mean, at this point, I, I, regardless, I think you can put him in and you can get in. He can get in. You can get inning out of him. But I'm not going to be as worried about J.P. France because I don't think J.P. France is in their long-term plans as much as the other guys either. And I don't think with, he has the, the overwhelming experience that the other guys have, even a Garcia for the years he, he's been here. So I would put France in the bullpen. Urquidy is an interesting wild card because you don't know what you're, what he's going to be year to year. But when he's on, you saw it at the end of the year in the Arizona game in his last two starts of the regular season when they needed someone, he stepped up big. Yeah, they said he was tipping last year. Arkady said he was tipping that. last year. He was giving stuff away. Uh, he's been pretty consistent other than last year, though. Like, his first four years, 395, 273, only in five starts, 362, 394. Like, he's been a sub-4 ERA guy, which is great in the back end of the rotation. Last year, he had a 529. Now, he had injuries. Apparently, he was tipping. Um, but he was pretty consistent in his first four well, my, years. My last main year, thing was so the much. Because, you know, that shoulder thing has reared its head several times. You know, he's a guy that earlier in his career did have uh, TJ. So, you know, he's been through a lot. But, again, it's an, it, we talk about Lance and injuries, but there's Urquidy's battled the injury bug for the last couple of years, too. When you say Lance and injuries, you're talking about McCullers? Yes. That's one. Okay. Just, yeah, there's, there's another injury-prone Lance that we know. Well, McCullers is not tripping yes. on the concrete curbs. every time he tries yeah. to walk upstairs. <laughs> Kirby's Erline. Yeah, he doesn't have problems with crosswalks and curbs. All right, so I'm, I'm, I'm a guy to overreact. We know this. Like, I see something I'm like, ooh, I'm overreacting to this. Uh, Spencer Arigetti pitched really well the other day in his spring training debut. Here is a scenario I have for you in which Spencer Arigetti makes the opening day roster. Okay. Makes the opening day roster. Now, they're stretching him out, so that's I don't think he's going to be a bullpen arm. Injuries to Verlander and JP. Now, they're already injured. It's just a matter of when do they come back. Let's just, like If I'm presenting a scenario in which Spencer Arigetti makes the opening day roster, injuries to JV and JP. Uh, they're, not, they're not making the opening day roster, so it opens up some spots, especially for a starter in the rotation. Now, Arigetti's not on the 40-man roster. You might be saying, well, the Astros don't want to clear a spot for you know, an Arigetti to just make a couple of starts. Well, there's several cuttable guys, John Singleton being one of them. Uh, but also you can transfer Lance McCullers and Luis Garcia to the 60-day injured list the first day that they can. They can't be on – there's no 60-day IL in the offseason spring training. Now, once that opens up, well, you just transfer them over to the 60-day IL. There's two spots right there, no problem. Now, his stuff in, intri- like intrigues me. Like he's not, a, he's not somebody who throws incredibly hard. He's got a five-pitch mix. Four seam, cutter, slide piece, curveball, and a changeup. I like guys. I don't know why. I like guys who throw a lot of pitches. Spencer Arigetti does. There's my scenario in which Spencer Arigetti makes the opening day roster. And it's going to require injuries to those two guys. Then. I, I think it's a realistic proposition, though, because of the fact that regardless of what happens with JV, you know that those two other guys aren't going to be ready till around the All-Star break at best-case scenario. So, and depending on how they want to use their starters, if they still don't want to get too much work on the guys at the top of the rotation early in the season, 
I think it's very realistic that he could make the, this team coming out of camp. And you've heard Dana talk and, and give him rave reviews and, and really be excited about him from the offseason. So I think that they want to give him a shot. And I think that this is, this scenario right here plays out for him to where it's very realistic that he, he gets plenty of starts at the first part of the season. I, I'm for it if you're bringing him in and, make, and putting him in the opening day roster to be a actual starter in the situation for Verlander's not ready to go. Where I would push back and prefer him not to make the roster is if the plan is to go with someone else's starter and, oh, you're going to be a bull, in the bullpen and pitch sporadically every third day, every fourth day. I'd rather him go to, to, to Sugarland, get all the every you know the every fifth day normal routine of being a starting pitcher, what you want him to be when he sticks and stays in the major leagues as compared to just a bullpen arm for you know three weeks see i don't think france is that close like you see the recovery timeline of uh, france and verlander like verlander is like on the cusp of facing live hitters and like france is still throwing on flat ground like france is the one that i think is going to be longer than verlander i don't think either one starts the year on the uh the roster i think they both start on the il if verlander starts on the roster maybe he makes like the fifth start instead of the first start type of thing but if you're gonna do that you might as well just have him on the injured list the one caveat here i think is ronel blanco it's like if if the plan is for Ronel Blanco to be a starter, I think you just give the first couple of starts to Blanco. That way you don't start Spencer Arigetti's clock. But I have this feeling that Blanco is going to be one of the relievers. See, and, and where I was going to go with this, too, is the fact that the upside is still uh, enough with Arigetti. You've seen Belak, You've seen Blanco. They've experimented with them. They've given them their opportunities. And, and and I just I don't need to see a whole lot more of Belak. Blanco's stuff, at least, is something that could translate it, it, however you choose to use him. But I think Arigetti's a guy that they're going to want to use and keep around as a starter that they believe could be a starter on the major league level. So, therefore, I think they're going to treat him differently. It's like when they had Hunter Brown early on. They weren't going to bring up Hunter Brown, one, to start his clock in the same uh, scenario that you were talking about with Arigetti, but also because he's been a starter his whole life, and they didn't want him to start going into the bullpen. They wanted to keep him stretched out, and they believe he's a starter long-term. I think that's the same way they think about Arigetti. Yeah, I, I don't think they'll even toy with the idea of Arigetti in the uh, in the bullpen. And some of these quotes, too, it's like, you know, we, we like him as a starter. Dana Brown said that he could win a rookie of the year. Like, that's a hot take, Dana Brown. He can win a rookie of the year. Dana like, where's he, where's, he getting, where's he getting these starts uh, to be a rookie of the year? If he um, thinks he can win rookie of the year, then maybe he's not telling us something on the health of his starting pitchers. But he also says he feels Verlander. He's not worried about Verlander at all. Well, I know one of those has to be a lie, though. Verlander hasn't started throwing breaking pitches yet, has he? I think he's throwing breaking pitches, but on flat ground. Uh, yeah, he I might I be doing thought it on the mound. I had heard that they, he still, when the interview he did with MLB.com, I think two days ago, I thought that Dana made mention of the fact that he was ready to face live hitting soon, but that he hadn't started throwing breaking pitches yet, which was a little bothersome to me, if that's true. Yeah, it could be the case. I thought he was doing it off flat ground, but I could be wrong on that. But I don't think either one makes the opening day roster. But I do think Blanco is going to be in the bullpen. And if Blanco op- is going to be in the bullpen, then it opens up a spot in the rotation, and I think it's Spencer Arrigetti. And I don't think that Dana Brown's lying on either one of these things. I think that Dana Brown just talks. Mm-hmm. He just talks, and you don't know what you can take seriously. He doesn't know what he can take seriously. He you just think, talks. You think he knows what windows are? Yes. Yeah, I do. Too. Definitely. It, so does Nick Casario. Nick yep. Casario has talked about windows. But Dana windows. will tell you unequivocally he knows what windows are. Depending on when, when you get Nick Casario, he'll tell you what windows are. Or they don't, he doesn't know what they are. He knew what they were two years ago. He knew what they were last year, but now he doesn't know. I heard him on the uh, highway to hell uh, last night, and 
he had a totally different tone and was a lot more forthcoming with answers. Apparently, it was John guys. Alexander that asked that question because John Alexander posted something today, and I was kind of like snarky or whatever, quote tweeted, and he's like, yeah, I thought it was a fair question. I was like, I didn't realize it was you that asked huh. that question. Why doesn't he like you? That was ridiculous. Did you ask him? <laughs> nah, nah. John does good work. 713-780-ESPN. Speaking of Nick Casario, speaking of his increments, don't call them windows. Let's discuss these Casario two-year increments. Maybe we haven't given his history the weight it deserves. Maybe he has given us a tell of how he's going to handle free agency this offseason. 713-780-3776. Killer Bees on ESPN 97.5 and ESPN 92.5.